Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, brought to you by the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you are in charge of professional development and looking to build an innovative digital learning experience, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we uncover strategies that tech coaches are using to drive their digital transformations one classroom at a time. And now for your host, with over two decades of experience working with tech coaches and edtech companies from all around the world, Jeff Bradbury. Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for your professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 213. And today we're going to be talking with an instructional coach and an author about her brand new book and how you can take advantage of some of these great new teaching strategies as we create a fantastic beginning of the year. And I hope you guys are having a great time to your beginning of the year. It has been an amazing summer. And for me right now, I am looking forward to the end of it. One more week and then kids are back. In fact, as you're listening to this show right now, I'm probably standing in my high school physical education area, handing out Chromebooks to hundreds of students, but that's okay because it was a good summer. We had a lot of great stuff, and I hope you have a chance to check out all the great stuff over on teachercast.net and head on over to Ask the Tech Coach. While you're there, scroll to the bottom, join our instructional coaches group. We have now passed 1,000 instructional coaches in our Facebook group, and we are here to help you guys out. So no matter if you have a question or a resource or something you'd like to share with the world, we have a great thing going over on our TeacherCast instructional instructional coaches group. Easy for me to say. And I hope you guys have a chance to check all that stuff out today. My guest today is an author and instructional specialist who addresses challenges in both teaching and leading across school districts and a wide range of differentiated needs. I want to bring on today my good friend, Miss Miriam Plotinski. Miriam, how are you today? Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm so pleased to be here with you. I am thrilled to have you on. First of all, how was your summer? I've been hearing a lot of great things about what you've been doing and what you've been working on. Thanks. It has been a very good summer. I've gotten a lot of, of great feedback on the book and I've also been working on some new things. So always, always writing, always thinking, always working with teachers, which is the best thing in the world to do. You know, a few weeks ago, I was searching through Facebook for some new content, for some new things to talk about. And I saw this thing that says, I'm excited. I launched a book. It's called Teach More, Hover Less. Miriam, tell us a little bit about it. So this book was born out of years and years of, of really my own learning process as a teacher. And I had so many experiences early on. I think, I think every teacher will probably say this. I had so many experiences early on that I call cringeworthy. They were not really representative of me as the teacher I am now. In fact, right now I'm teaching a class to adult learners. And one of the students in my class is someone I taught 21 years ago. And the first thing I said to her was, so... How did that go? I'm just wondering what kind of a teacher I was. But it was really a process for me to learn to to let students do more than they were doing, to be less tired at night, to talk less, which was how the book was born. I want to find ways to talk less. That became part of my classroom practice and then part of this method that I share. So it really was a process that's taken about 22 years to hone. Well, the subtitle of the book is called How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom. Is this book just for you know, six to 12 teachers, or can anybody enjoy this? Anybody can enjoy it, but I will say that the examples and scenarios are geared toward learners in grades six to 12. Um, And that was a decision that I made because even though I have worked with pre-K to 12, 
my teaching experience and my leadership experience is secondary, primarily. And I wanted to make sure that I was, I was staying within uh, the, the best scope of my practice when I was addressing readers. Having said that, there are a lot of strategies and ideas that translate across the board to learners, I would say, from pre-K all the way through college and graduate school or what have you. Learners of life. I was flipping through your book and reflecting, you know, you and I are about in the same generation. I've been teaching for 20 plus years and I, I'm still stuck in the term micromanaging. I mean, we've done a lot of professional development. I've never once been taught to micromanage my classroom. Why is this a big deal? Why do you think that teachers are actually, you know, being very minute in the details about what happens in those four walls? It's really funny because what you just said reminded me of that, that phrase we sometimes say, I want to be micromanaged and nobody ever. Um, we don't micromanage on purpose, but teaching is conducive to it. And, and the reason for that is that when we first start out, and a lot of what I'm writing is particularly relevant for people who are newer, I believe, is that when we first start out, we're afraid of losing control. It's a big fear we have. We're gonna walk into a classroom. We have these nightmares before school starts. We're gonna walk into a classroom. Kids are gonna be losing it. If we don't plan what's called bell to bell in a very hands-on way, which eventually becomes a micromanaging way, we might lose the kids. And that's a fear that we all have. It's a fear that I had. And I'm not saying that we don't have structure and that we're not organized, but what my book proposes is doing that in a different way so that we don't accidentally fall into that trap of believing that nothing can happen without us hovering, or as I call it, helicopter teaching right over our kids. I, I have to ask the question here, whose fault is this? Are we as teachers not being trained correctly? Are we as teachers fearful of the fact that at any moment that that door might open and somebody might walk in and now we're having an improv uh, unannounced observation. So, I mean, look, I, I was the guy that when I was in middle school, I hated to write the objective on the board. Didn't mean I was a bad classroom teacher. That just means I don't believe in writing the objective on the board. So whose fault is it in your opinion? And I know this is a recorded conversation here, Miriam, but, <laughs> but whose fault is this micromanaging? Is it the teachers oh, for not yeah. being trained? Is it the administrators for putting so much pressure on? Um, or is it those darn kids? I mean, I was a micromanager in the early years of my career and I was trained. So I can't blame it on a lack of training. And I also, I think it's an oversimplification to try to place blame or fault. I say this a lot to my own children, you know, just saying it's someone's fault is sometimes a, 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 a little bit of a boiled down way to look at something a lot more complex. I do believe there is fear about what happens when people walk into classrooms. I've been an instructional leader for long enough to know that when I walk into a room, the, the molecules in the air shift and people behave differently. And that I did the same thing when people walked into my classroom. No one likes being put under a microscope. So what I would say is that there is a probably more pervasive structural and cultural problem in our schools whereby the whole process of observation and feedback is given a stigma that it should not have. Um, and there are various reasons for that that are probably too complicated to talk about. Now, I do talk about them a lot in my second book, which is about school leadership, um, and that's coming out next year. But, but the whole idea of how we imagine a classroom should look is flawed. Think about movies. When you watch a movie and it shows a scene in the classroom and if kids are talking 
not even, you know, really acting out a whole lot. If they're just riffing back and forth, that's considered to be a bad thing in the eyes of, you know, American media. So then what do we internalize growing up? How did our experiences shape the way that we teach? And how difficult is it for us to challenge some of the premises that we've always thought to be true? I mean, first of all, to recognize them and then to challenge them. Well, let's do a little Jeff Foxworthy here. Um, how do you know if you're a micromanager? Like, give me the, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you might be a micromanager. I might not know that I'm a micromanager. What are some of the signs that we need to look at? Because, you know, this show is listened to by instructional coaches. How do you know that when you walk into a class, you're dealing with a micromanager? So I'm going to whip out my cheat sheet here, which is page 10, chapter one of my book about mindset shifts. And I have an activity that you can do literally called, I might be a micromanager if, and you tick the boxes. So I'll give you a few examples. And by themselves, they seem innocuous sometimes, but it's when you add them together and they start to pile up. So for example, I plan each part of my class down to the minute and I never stray from that plan. The second part of the sentence is important because you don't have the flexibility to try something new. If you're having a conversation with students and someone brings up a tangential point that might still further the learning and you bring it right back to what you were doing, you don't have that agility to kind of plan on the fly as much as you might want to. Or I panic about getting through the curriculum. That might indicate a focus on task-based instruction as opposed to broader learning goals and the awareness of what students have to achieve by the time a unit is over or a semester is over. Um, I talk a lot about substitute teaching in the book. If you feel like you can't be gone, yeah. like you have to teach, COVID or no COVID, if you've got to teach or nothing will happen, might be a micromanager because that means that kids have not learned structures in your class for how to manage when you're gone. I, I love that on this page here. I try to be absent rarely because my students need me. Look, everybody wants to be in the classrooms, but we are given... 10 days, whatever it happens to be like, you don't get points at the end of your career for having 400 sick days. No. And you also don't have them to spare. And that's the other thing. And, and one thing, there's a big, you know, a lot of controversy right now about whether people are still going to get their COVID sick days or whether those are going to go away because those were extra days you got in the middle of a pandemic. And now you're back to the original number. So, I mean, I feel it. I, I taught sick all the time. It was just a norm. I didn't take off because I was sick ever, unless it was like a, you know, sort of a, a a flu that that was coupled with a you know some some other horrible virus you know like it, it takes a lot to bring a teacher down having said that <laughs> it's more about the sentiment of i can't be gone versus yeah i don't have enough days i, I i'm curious about a few things and i want to shift this conversation into a few vocabulary terms which i found were interesting because when i first opened up the book teach more, hover less. I thought this was going to be about flipped classroom and flipped learning. That's not the case, but it kind of is. Talk to me a little bit about this current concept here of non-hover teaching. What do you mean by that? It really begins with a mindset. And that is the belief that students can learn and take responsibility for their learning as partners, as opposed to as passive participants. So when people hear things, for example, my, my, my last stage is about what I call choice-based instruction. I had one person say, oh, so you're talking about, you know, learning menus and flipped classrooms and hyperdocs. And what I say to that is I, I could be talking about that, but I'm not necessarily talking about that. It's an approach. And, you know, something like a flipped classroom is, is more focused on, um, you know, what you're giving students as opposed to a constant way that you approach instruction every day. So as an example, 
with choice-based instruction, what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging that at least one or two days a week, students should be given some kind of choice about how they learn that day, whether it's when to do a certain activity or what they do first or how to move about the classroom. It's not like a constant thing and it's not one specific strategy that we're applying. It really is about the way that you see teaching and learning undergoing what appears to be uh, a little bit of a shift, but really is much more seismic when you, when you think about it more fully. If you're looking at this topic from a coach's point of view, right, it's easy for a teacher to pick up a book like this and say, it's for me or it isn't for me. And it's also easy to say anybody can handle this approach. Anybody can take on this philosophy. But if you're a coach listening to this and and you're a coach that picks up this book, how do you know if a teacher that you're working with is ready to make this shift? Or how do you bring up this topic? Because I would assume I'm not going to sit down with you as a teacher and go, you need to hover less. There's, there's a way to install this offense, if you will, without using the vernacular words, right? Like, how do you, how do you take this book on as a coach if you're working with multiple teachers? Well, first thing I think about is, is our level of exhaustion. So if you're working with a teacher who is talking about being burned out, who's talking about going home at night with absolutely nothing left for, for a family or for a personal life, who's, who's tired you know, physically and emotionally. Um, one thing you want to think about is where are you working and how are you working? And to look at that somewhat analytically. And the idea of this method is that you are putting the work into a slightly different place. So you're setting up your classroom so that while you're teaching, you can do more with students while you're in there and then do less once it's over because you've seen a lot of their products. You've had a lot of the conversation. You've undergone some of the work that would ordinarily occur after class uh, when you're already tired out for the day. Um, the other thing about, about this approach is that, to be honest, teachers have to want it. They have to say, what I'm doing, for whatever reason, isn't working for me. <laughs> Um, I, I feel overwhelmed. I, I've been doing this, you know, for one year. I've been doing this for 20 years. It's just I'm, I'm sort of hitting a wall and I want to see something new because until people want that help, you, you can't help them. And you know that it's 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 it has to be it has to begin with that person. What's what's your method for shifting all of this stuff? We talk a lot here about that innovation curve and you've got your generals, you've got your laggards on the other end. You've got that, you know, if you can get 23 percent, then you're starting to get your your whole how does a new coach or even a veteran coach start to make these changes? Does it come from the coach? Does it come from the administrator or both? I think it comes from both. One thing that I get really frustrated at is when I go into meetings or in situations with leaders or coaches and they're modeling the exact opposite of what they're telling people to do. So you might be saying, you know, include more student-centered learning, but you've got slides up there and people are reading to you and they're doing the whole direct instructional bit. And so I think the first thing that we have to do is make sure that whatever we're delivering is being done so in the way that we're saying is ideal. And so as a coach, you have to be vulnerable and say, you know, come to my class, come to my training, come to my presentation, watch how I do this. Um, I have things for you to give you. You have to give people materials they can use right away. Otherwise, professional development is not worthwhile for teachers. And but that's, that's why, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was say, but that's so hard to do, right? Because generally you mm -hmm. find it, and, and, and I want to pick up on something that you said, those teachers that are burned out, those are probably the teachers that could benefit from this, but those are also generally the same teachers that uh, their cup is so full. If I try to change what they're doing, then I'm out the door. And you have to balance that. 
Well, and one thing, and, and this is this is something that I think doesn't happen enough, is that if you're working with a teacher who's burned out and and they are they are done and they're not feeling as open as you might want them to, offer to come into their classroom and co-plan and co-teach and, and model some things before you start throwing new things at them because you know seeing is believing. And a teacher who is tired wants to see something new. And and most of the time. I find that the teachers who push back the most are the ones who really want to engage in something new. So make it a collaborative process, but don't make it a me showing and you doing. I, I got to do it with you. <laughs> and I have to show you that that this there is a there's a way to do this. And, and that's why the book itself moves through four stages, by the way. It's starting with the mindset, then moving into how you build relationships with kids. It's a gradual process to creating this kind of environment. It cannot happen overnight, and it can't happen by me throwing a couple of strategies at you. That's not authentic. Well, let's pause on that one because building relationships, and we talk about this in probably every one of our 213 episodes here, it's all about relationship building. But there is a fine line where a coach needs to be in the classroom supporting the teacher not being, I'll say, the science teacher in the room or the technology. I mean, we know that we are here to help support the adult in the room, learn how to be amazing and awesome. But generally what we find is that when a coach comes in and is really, really working with students, then the teacher often backs off and goes, oh, Miriam is here. You go teach this lesson now. And then suddenly they're in the back or they're grading their papers. It really is about building that trust in the classroom and working side by side and going, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I, 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 try, I really try hard not to use the word coach in a room because nobody wants to be coached. They want to be helped and supported. But talk to me a little bit about that relationship building of both coach, teacher, and coach, student. So coach, teacher is a partnership. Um, just like you shy away from coach, I shy away from support because it really is two parties coming together to think their way through challenges and then to come up with a plan that works for both parties. That's what coaching is to me. Um, and so when you are building that relationship, that might mean that the technical instructional coach might go solo for one or two classes, but that's an intentional part of a progression that you come up with. So the teacher identifies an area for growth, the instructional coach identifies an area for growth, you agree upon what you're going to do and you develop a plan that involves both people working with kids. And then eventually it's like, it's like the, um, the analogy of holding on with both hands and gradually letting go, taking one hand away than the other hand so that the teacher can then proceed. So there has to be some, some process behind that. It can't be, I'm just going to come in and show you how to do this. Uh, there's a certain arrogance to that too, because teachers are experts and we don't need to show them how to do a whole lot of things that they're already good at. Um, I'm sorry. You were and that's, that's so hard. Yeah. Right. How, how do you recommend coaches learn that skill? I think it's easy to answer the question by saying experience, but OK, it's the, it's a brand new year. There's a lot of coaches that are listening to this show that are in their first week, their first month. Mm -hmm. How do you how, where do you go to or how do you pick up the skills called how do you build relationships? So you don't storm the castle. And what I mean by that. <laughs> so I have to throw Princess Bride's references where, where I can. Princess Bride references. Um, it's one the best movie. Um, but what I mean by that is it's what I tell leaders also when I work with them is, is start slow and listen more than you talk. 
So when you're working with somebody new, take some time to listen to what they feel the challenges are, what they feel they'd like to work on, observe, come up with some data, observational data, and then you can start making suggestions because that's part of relationship building. And also it's, it's the same thing I say about building relationships with students. Their ideas and their expertise has validity. Don't take that away from them where they give you an idea and you say, mm, no, that's not what I'm seeing. What I see is maybe there'll be time and space for some of that when the relationship is built. But to start, it really is about making sure that everyone's value is recognized at the table, whether that's teachers that we're working with or students that we're working with. Otherwise, it all just falls apart way too quickly. Um, and, you know, I also think that the idea of an expert as you know, an instructional coach coming in as, as sort of a fountain of knowledge is, is a very tough thing for me personally. You know, I, I have a lot of experience, but I certainly have a, a learning curve just like everybody else. And I've never operated under the assumption that I've got it or that I, that I have more to contribute to a relationship than the person I'm working with. To me, that's arrogant. I read an article by um, an education reporter where he said this professor was arguing that children are blank slates and empty vessels and we have to fill them because they have no knowledge. And that to me is just an offensive idea. Who comes to the table with nothing? Nobody, not even the youngest kids in the world, so. So what you're saying is that concept is inconceivable. Inconceivable. And I do know what that word means. <laughs> I love the Princess Bride also. Oh, good. Oh, good. One of the other things that you talk about in the book is this concept of engagement and investments. Talk to us a little bit about this. This really struck me when I was, I was working with teachers and they were having this conversation about a book that kids were reading and they were not understanding it was a good thing but all the kids were reading the book and they were like oh my god i've never seen so many kids read the book before what's going on and they talked about it for 10 or 15 minutes and then i when there was a pause i said i'm just wondering did anybody ask the kids why they're reading it and there was this silence people <laughs> were thinking well no we didn't it, it's funny it seems obvious but we missed that step so much we don't ask kids why they are or are not doing what they're doing. And so engagement to investment, that chapter is all about how do we pull students more into the lesson planning? Not what am I gonna teach? The teacher is in charge of what we're gonna teach, but how are we gonna teach it? So I have certain tools asking kids, how do you learn best? And what have I done in the past that works? And what do you already know about this topic that we're gonna come into next week? Because once again, we're not blank slates. We've learned about something like this. We've heard this term, or maybe we know something related to, and that gives the teacher more information. So we're not guessing as much about what we need to do. We have that information. And then we share that with kids. We say, you told me that this is what you wanted to do, or this is what works, or this is what doesn't work. So as a result, we will. And that helps them feel much more involved in what's happening in the classroom, and it gives them some power. It's interesting hearing this coming from somebody else. And I say that because we have these conversations often like this on the show. And 
when we're looking at the way that a teacher works with a student and you can call it, you know, non hovering, you can call it hands off, you can call it flip, whatever that is. I, I, I'm curious to know your thoughts on if we take that up a level, right? Like the whole concept of being choice based and the teacher saying to the student, you know, here's the topic. How do you want us to do it? How do you want to learn? Like all of those different things. What does or what could that look like from the coach to the teacher level? Is that the same thing as saying to the to the teacher, these are the subjects that we have to cover in our PD? How do you want me to cover it with you? Like, how do we set up this entire concept between us as coaches and I don't again, I don't want to say us and them. That's not the right way, but but and and teachers. How do we bring it up to that level? So when I teach teachers, which I do pretty frequently. Um, I do what's called a feedback on feedback process with them, which means we, I teach the content of the course because I, I teach a class on how to be a teacher. And at the end of each class, I get feedback. What worked, what didn't, what burning questions do you have, or even just, you know, vague questions do you have, just anything. And then the first thing I do the next class is show them how what they told me is shaping not what we're learning for the day, but the way we're learning it. So you told me that we had too many tangential discussions last time. That was bugging you. So let's talk about what a tangent is and what we're going to do today to fix that. Or you told me, this was during virtual learning, that we had too many breakout rooms or that I didn't, you didn't get to talk to level-like people enough or wh whatever it was. So here's what I'm going to try today. I'm going to try this whole group discussion protocol. We'll see if it works. I'll try a poll thing on Pear Deck. We'll see if it works. So it, it's just the, the dialogue. It's keeping the dialogue open of, we tried this. You said, here's what happened. Here's what I can change. Or here's what I can't, but here's why. So having the respect for the learners that you're with as adults or as kids to say, we all have ideas for how this could go. And here's how I'm listening to you. It's, it's, it's really about listening and better communication. And in doing so, I'm assuming that that builds more relationships. It does because they suddenly realize they're just not, they're not just giving you feedback or and, and teachers can speak to this. You take a survey, but the whole time you take the survey, you're thinking they've already made this decision. They're just asking for my feedback so they can go through the formality of doing that. When you do feedback on feedback and you show them what you're changing and you react to it in real time, that takes away that misconception or that maybe it's not a misconception sometimes, but it takes away that that element. And you say, OK, no, no, this is real. I'm really listening to you. And it, it builds trust that otherwise wouldn't be there. The book is called Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom. And we are going to make sure that we have the links over here on TeacherCast uh, on Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 213. We're going to make sure that we have all the Amazon and stuff links. Um, Miriam, as we go through this book and even as we start the school year, what advice do you have for instructional coaches who are looking at September and saying it's going to be a long year? I'm looking forward to this, but how do I survive? When I think about each, each start of the school year, and this is true for instructional coaches and for teachers, is that it's, a, it, it's sort of a dual-edged thing. Every day is new. Every day is fresh. We have the opportunity to make ourselves over every day with students and with teachers. And even if we make mistakes, we have the opportunity to correct them. So just remembering that if you think you're supposed to be getting there, wherever there is in the first few weeks, that's not what it is. This is the time to really be focusing on establishing those connections that will allow you to get there. And so, you know, sort of what I said before, listen more than we talk, 
think about the people that we work with and think about, you know, doing doing the best that we can each day and also not not holding ourselves to impossible standards or to perfection because that's not the goal. What is the goal? The goal is to make progress and to have something to show for that progress. So to, to figure out where to, to know what our, our goals are, what our targets are, to develop a way to measure that. And then to be able to look at ourselves a month down the road, two months, three months and say, okay, I'm, I'm getting there. And here's, here's how I know I set that up for success. And I, and I think that's important. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show with our friend Steph Howell on her on their 90 day coaching plan. And we talked about how do you build your first month, your second month, third month, and just start thinking in these, you know, quarter of the year chunks to make sure that you have a plan. We've got a lot of great content over on askthetechcoach.com from our, our calendars, our data trackers, our how to make a great coaching website, how to use a tech coach newsletter appropriately. Lots of great stuff on there. I hope if you're listening to this, not only do you like and subscribe to the show, but check out all of our resources and join our instructional coaches network over on Facebook. We've got one on LinkedIn and we also have a brand new one that we started this year on k12leaders.com. No matter where you're looking for instructional coaching support, we have it for you. Miriam, where do we go to learn more about the great things that you're doing? Uh, what's your website and Twitter? So my website is miriamplotinsky.com. That's my first name and my last name.com. And then my Twitter is at Miraplo MCPS. So that's at M-I-R-P-L-O-M-C-P-S. And we're, again, we're going to make sure we have all the links over at Ask the Tech Coach episode number 213. Miriam, thank you so much. Do me a big favor. Please invite yourself on again. Would love to take any of these topics, any of the chapters, and really just expand on them because there's so much rich content in here. And you said that you're working on a second book. What can we be looking forward to next year from you? March of 2023. I believe it's March 28th, if we want an exact date. My second book is called Lead Like a Teacher. It's all about how to engage in school leadership by incorporating a teacher's point of view. And that is coming from my publisher, Norton, um, in in March. So for all school leaders who are interested in closing what I call the empathy gap, which is how we sometimes don't understand one another, teachers to administrators, this is the book for you. Nice. And we'll be looking forward to having you on that show as well. Hope you guys had a great time this episode. If you do, please do me a favor, like, subscribe, all that wonderful stuff. Share this episode with your friends. We are here each and every single Monday putting out a brand new episode of Ask the Tech Coach. And of course, all of this stuff on our Instructional Coaching Network is free of charge and it is there for you guys. And that wraps up this episode of Ask the Tech Coach, episode number 213 on behalf of Miriam and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classroom and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to Ask the Tech Coach, hosted by Jeff Bradbury of the TeacherCast Educational Network. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at AskTheTechCoach or online at www.askthetechcoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.